Welcome to the Mini Podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number 51. And today's episode is brought to you by the Mapped Out Money Book Club. Uh, So this is a brand new thing that we're trying. And if you're listening to this on the day that this episode comes out, our first book club meeting is going to be a week from now on Monday, June 28th at 7 p.m. We are reading the book, The Psychology of Money from Morgan Housel, and we're just going to hop on a Zoom call uh, next Monday night and basically just talk about our takeaways. We'd love to hear from you if you want to join in. So if you want to be notified of that or be able to catch the replay, even if you don't think you'll be able to make it live, go to mappedoutmoney.com forward slash book club to sign up for notifications about that. And we hope to see you there. This is our last episode talking about the Strengths Finder stuff. Yeah. So we, um, if you haven't caught the first or the, the last couple of episodes, one on making a career change, which we sort of briefly talk about the importance of strengths. And then the last episode, which was sort of an intro to the Strengths Finder, uh, you should probably go and listen to those first. But we're excited to sort of share today, I think, the real, the real meat of why we're such a big fan of this personality test. And I don't I don't even know if I would call it a personality test as much as I would call it. Because um, personality tests, I think, talk about like your behavior and stuff a lot more. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is really more geared towards uh, your talents, your natural gifts, your natural uh, abilities, and then how those can be applied in a couple of different scenarios. It has an action uh, quality instead of just an analyzing your It feels more practical. Yeah, it feels more tangible. I think some of the personality tests out there feel like, um, okay, so that's interesting. Maybe that uh, helps me, I don't know, understand myself a little better maybe. Maybe it, oftentimes it ends up just being sort of a fun group thing to talk about with your friends rather than being something that you can actually sort of chew on and go and utilize. And that's what I really like about the Strengths Finder. I think it it especially helps in a work setting, in a career setting, when you're trying to find a new career, find where you thrive, find a role that you feel like uh, really fits you. And it definitely helps if you are in a leadership role at a company or in your job to understand the strengths of your team members to be able to try and really uh, bring those out and, yeah. and make sure that people are playing in the position that makes the most sense for them. Yeah. So our our hope for this episode is that it will give you a little bit of insight of how we have used our results from the Strengths Finder to help us in in our careers and just in working with each other. And I mean, really in our hobbies and stuff too, we're kind of going to get into things that we've noticed about ourselves and how we function within family relationships and hobbies and work and yeah, all the we're, things. We're obviously in a unique position because we work together and we're married. And so we're able to sort of use these both in a working relationship and then also in a, a marriage relationship. So we'll apply it in a, a couple different ways. To give this episode some level of, of structure, what I want us to do is open up just talking about the questions that we can use. And Clifton Strengths Finder, so the the organization that puts together this test, they actually have four steps that they recommend that you go through that I think are really helpful. 
Okay, the first step is just to read everything about your top Clifton strengths. And so this is pretty obvious, but you know, they say to make the most of your talents, you first need to understand them and how to describe them to others. And that makes sense. Yeah, I think a, a good exercise there would be to be able to, to read them enough to where if I said, hey, what's your number three strength, that you could actually say the word and give me like a quick description of what you think that oh, is. Man. Nick's like making up a quiz for you. Well, don't you think? I don't. I couldn't do that. You couldn't do that for your top five. No, I know. Like, I know my top two really well, and I know that I know the other ones are in there somewhere, but I don't know the order. Well, I didn't mean you had to have them in order memorized. I just meant like if I said, "Okay, one of your top fives is harmony," what does that mean? You could give me a description of what that means. Mm, Yeah, not a very good one, but yeah, I could. I give you some sort of description. Anyways, don't quiz yourself. Just get familiar (laughs) with your strengths. Ignore Nick's quiz. (laughs) All right. The second step here, once you kind of have a baseline understanding of your strengths, is to think about the past. So reflect on who you are as a person. Think about your sort of experiences, your motivations, the choices that you've made in your life, and try to figure out, okay, how have my strengths maybe shaped those decisions for what I've done and why I've done it? And that's what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes is it's kind of interesting to go back and look at the decisions we've made and go, oh, I can really see how, you know, that was playing into to that decision. The third step is to use Clifton Strengths every day. Start with the suggestions in this report for applying your most powerful Clifton Strengths. And I think I think you can get like a little over the top with this stuff. Um, like I don't I don't think it has to be that big of a deal. No, I don't, um, th- I don't think you have to have it on your to-do list every day. To be fair, that third step that you just read is from the Clifton Strength. So, of course, that's sort of part of their recommendation. I know. So, yeah, take these for, you know, what, what they are. Will. Yeah. So the fourth one is sort of the opposite of the third. Instead of looking for places to use your strengths, it's watching out for blind spots. It's sort of going, where are your strengths maybe so strong that they're actually turning into a bit of a weakness? And how are they causing maybe some unintended consequences? So, and then again, we're going to, we're going to talk all about how certainly yeah, we some have of plenty my of examples. Yeah, strengths have turned into weaknesses. So those are the four steps that they give you. First is just understand it. Then think about the past. Then think about how to use your strengths daily. And then think about the blind spots. Pretty straightforward. Some of the questions I added in really are just taking what they've done and and gone one layer deeper and asking, um, how has the strength shaped your previous decisions in your hobbies, in your careers, in your interests, in your travel, and where you've chosen to live, and in your relationships uh, for how and why you've done things? That basically, I just fleshed it out in those areas as I was reflecting on mine. And then when it comes to using your strengths in the future, I asked the question of how does your strength shape your motivations for what you think you want to do in the future? And then how could you find ways to actually incorporate your strengths into your hobbies, your career, your family relationships, et cetera? And then, of course, just checking out those blind spots. So with all of that kind of outline there, we're just going to take you through what we've found from our results. And we're going to divide this up into like talking about career slash finances, and then our family and relationships, and then hobbies. Yeah, we didn't want this episode to turn into just sort of a narcissistic uh, us droning on about here's our top 10 strengths (laughs) and why we're so good at these things. Um, I don't know that that would actually be helpful for anyone. 
But I think people would love that. <laughs> but I, I think our, our goal is that by maybe breaking it down in these different areas and us just talking about how we've looked at our strengths and analyzed the decisions that we've made and want to make in the future and how those play out in these different areas and maybe some of the combinations that it will get your brain thinking about how if you've taken the test and you've gotten your strengths back, you might could use those uh, reports to look at your life in a similar way. Yeah. So why don't you get us started off? So you're first kind of talking about how your strengths of like learner, being an analytical thinker, and also um, what they call individualization, kind of all come together, come together to make you kind of good at some of the things that you're good at. Yeah. So my number one strength is called the learner. And basically the people who have this as a top strength is that they have a deep desire to learn and a, a yearning to learn, if you will. Well, and you just like the process it's the of the process. Yeah, yeah, it's more about the process than it is even about the outcome. And then my third strength is analytical, which basically means I'm very left-brained and objective when it comes to my thinking through of a process. The way the book reads it is it says that people exceptionally talented here search for reasons and causes. They have the ability to think about all the factors that might affect a given situation. And then my eighth strength, so we're kind of looking at our top 10, really. My eighth one is something called individualization. And this, again, goes back to why I'm really a big fan of the full-blown report that gives you all 34, because that's something I didn't know when I just looked at my top five. But that actually plays a big role in what I do for a living now, because individualization basically makes it to where I really hone in on what makes each person unique. I try not to paint with broad brushes, and I'm really intrigued by uh, other people's strengths and weaknesses and their sort of unique abilities. And the way that that plays out in, you know, what we do for a living is I I think it it, it sounds arrogant to say, but I think it makes me fairly good at uh, doing money coaching, which is, you know, what we do, because I'm able to help others create a budget that works based on their own unique abilities. One, I'm super into learning, so I've learned a ton about finance because of my own interest. I'm very analytically strong, so I'm good at looking at other people's budgets and financial situations and helping them sort of problem solve with what might be going wrong and where they could maybe do things better and how to fix any of their problems that they're struggling with, but while also recognizing that everybody is different and they all have these own individual sort of unique scenarios and situations and strengths and weaknesses. So the same solution, or there's not one solution for every single person, and you sort of have to tailor that solution for each person. So when you sort of bring together the learner, the analytical, and the individualization, I think it sort of makes me uniquely, uniquely qualified to do what I do. I think you're totally right. I think you're excellent at doing that. And you, I told you this just yesterday, like you have a really good way of keeping a clear head with like lots of information going on and like lots of context stuff going on. And so what I mean by that is you're so good at looking at other people's situations and, and noticing all of those things and, but being able to see straight to like, okay, well, here's the core things that I think you should think about 
when you're making this decision or, um, you know, trying to make this change or whatever. Um, I think you bring really good insight to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, that that's that learner and that analytical sort of playing together because I have this desire to really gather a lot of facts yeah. and get a lot of context on a situation. But the analysis allows me to sort of uh, weed through the context once I have make it. Make sense of it. And make sense of it in yeah. a way and sort because of see, get to the heart. That's where I struggle because I, I'm like, learner is one of my top ones too. And, and I do think that I'm like good at gathering information and stuff, but I'll also get bogged down with the information. Um, so even, even when it comes to like scripting our podcast, a lot of times I'll kind of word vomit a lot of information and then you'll like read through it and find, find the organization in it. Yeah. And, and you're good at that. You're very good at that. Well, thanks. You're welcome. So to, to maybe go a little bit broader here, what I wrote down was roles that I would thrive in based on my strengths and roles that maybe I wouldn't do so well in based on my strengths. And as you might imagine, I, I thrive really well in planning, strategy, analysis, decision-making type roles, right? That's why I went to school for engineering, probably in a large part. I was good at reasoning through that kind of stuff. One of my other uh, highest ones, actually my number two strength is responsibility, which basically just means I take a lot of ownership over the commitments that I make and over uh, what I feel that I need to do and am responsible for. And that leads me to having desire to be in a leadership role and wanting to, you know, have ownership over uh, a business or a company per se. And that responsibility combined with, again, that individualization makes me want to find myself in a role where I can, you know, lead others and then help others see their own strengths and weaknesses and lead them in a way that works. So any sort of leadership role that allows for a lot of analysis and planning and strategy is something I'm going to be drawn to. The other maybe last thing here that helps my roles is, um, we'll talk more about this, but my number four strength is competition. So I'm, I'm highly competitive. And that leads me to wanting a role that sort of gamifies things. So it's not even competitive with other people. Um, I'll talk about how I'm actually not very good in a sales role, even though that's competitive oftentimes. Yeah. But competition in the fact of a constant striving to get better and be number one and improve. And that leads me to really gamifying roles, if you will. And so one of the roles I used to thrive in is I used to do a digital marketing work for a guy for a company. And basically what that meant was I was constantly analyzing all of the spreadsheet data around our Facebook ads and our marketing efforts. And I was trying to find ways to improve those. And my strengths really uh, helped me thrive in that role because I was competitive. I was an analytical and left brain thinking and and uh, constantly trying to improve. All of that stuff, again, is what I think makes you really good at being a business owner, too, um, because I think me in particular, uh, but I think a lot of people are scared or um, intimidated by like oh my gosh, everything's constantly changing and you're constantly having to change like what you do and what's working and what's not working. And like, you never know what's going to happen. Yep. And you thrive in that because it's it's a game and yep. it's all just analyzing and okay, that worked. 
that didn't work. So now I'll do this. And yeah, you do really well with that. And that doesn't stress you out the way that it would me. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I, and what's what's cool, y'all, about these reports is they actually give you a lot of helpful comments, you know, like that. We're not reading the these entire reports, but what is cool about the reports is they have these different sections, right? So how Hannah and I have been able to diagnose and sort of distill it down into, well, I think I'd be good at these roles and not so good at these roles is because we've read through our reports that give us information like uh, under analytical, for example, it tells me uh, to take action to maximize your potential. Here's some ideas. And it says things like choose assignments or work that allows you to analyze data, find patterns and organize ideas. Okay, cool. Well, like there's some there's some tactical feedback that will help me figure out what types of roles I could thrive in. Yeah. And the other thing that I'll say here is on the Clifton Strengths 34 results um, for your top 10, it gives like personalized totally. feedback. So Nick and I have some of the same um, top traits in our in our top ones. Um, but the the feedback that it gives you on it or that it has given us is different because of our other the strengths. way our others work in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I was impressed by that. I was too. Cause like my, so my number one is learner. Hannah's number two is learner. We're both very, you know, high in that. Uh, but you're incredibly low in competition and I'm really high in competition. Yeah. And so like one of the individual feedbacks that it gave me was you probably choose to engage in activities where scores are tabulated, rankings are assigned or ratings are given to each person. And that's my learner combined with like, my comp, my competitive side, it doesn't say that for you at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I reject the notion that life is a contest. <laughs> so it tells me. Um, anyways, so that brings me to um, some roles that I would not be necessarily a good fit for. One is a role that requires high adaptability. So adaptability is my weakest strength. It's number thirty four on my list. I'm, I'm very rigid normally. Another one is sales or generally needing high woo, which is what they call winning others over. It makes me think about my days at working at Aeropostal. So I took a, a seasonal job at Aeropostal. Uh, <laughs> it takes what, me back to like middle school. I know. This is what, uh, what the, I remember the boss telling me on that on the first day. He's like, first, it's uh, Aeropostal, not Aeropostal. Uh, and... <laughs> Anyways, I was terrible at that job. I was constantly the lowest salesperson, partly because I didn't really believe in the product that much. Like I didn't like their jeans. I thought American Eagles jeans right next door were much better, but I was working at Aeropostal and I, I just couldn't sell. I, I was terrible at that job. And so I, I think a lot of that, when I look at my strengths, I go, yeah, I'm really high on belief. That's a number nine for me, which means like the work that I do has to be really, really uh, in line with my core values. And if I don't believe in the product, I'm not going to be able to sell at all. All right, last thing, and then we'll hear about Hannah's career stuff is two blind spots for me. So one, because I'm so big on learning and so big on analysis, it can make me want to get too much context. And it can make me want to overanalyze a situation. And I've done this a lot of in our a lot of times in our business, I've done this in other jobs, and basically I end up procrastinating and not actually doing things because I'm I just got to do a little more research. Yeah, Nick did this when we were first married, and we needed a needed uh, to buy a marks. TV. Yeah, um, we were going to buy a TV, and you were like, "Okay, well, 
let me let me just like look into a few things and you know decide which TV we want. And it was like a month later, and you were still like, I just need to do a little bit more research. I'm gonna call up so and so and talk to them about what their experience has been with such. I was like, bro, <laughs> just it's go like to Sam's a TV. and buy a TV. <laughs> yeah, we're not buying like any sort of fancy anything. We're just buying like a basic TV. Like, can I just go to Sam's and pick one up, please? And finally, I remember you called me back, and you're like. It's okay. Just go ahead and buy whatever TV you want. I was like, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, it was a uh, it's a month-long process to get that done. Yeah. I'm a slow, you know, thoughtful planner. And that's good sometimes, but it can definitely be problematic other times. And then uh, the other one I was going to say blind spot wise was that responsibility. Because I have high sort of um, needs to be responsible and take ownership of things. I can get frustrated when someone else, either on my team or in my family or, you know, friends doesn't take ownership over what I think they ought to. And that can lead me to getting very frustrated at them and cause friction in that relationship. And in reality, I'm not necessarily more right or wrong than them. Maybe they don't feel like they need to have that responsibility over that thing, or maybe they need to have responsibility over something else that's directed elsewhere. That's not really the point. What I have to get, what I have to be careful of is not necessarily expecting everyone else to do and believe and take ownership over what I deem as the most important thing. Yeah, not expecting everybody to function the same way you do. Yep. Yeah, I struggle with that too. So what about you? Where? What were some of the things you felt like? this drew out for you for your career stuff well for me i'm also like learner is you know my number two strength or whatever um so that one plays a big role and i'm also like i thrive in solo work i don't know if it's like my lack of competitiveness uh because like you said like competition is very high for you that is 31 out of 34 for me um (laughs) and then Uh, The other thing is that empathy is like very high for me. And so I was saying like, I don't know if like a lot of my energy goes to other people if they're around so that like when I'm working, like I really, I really like to just like focus in on what I'm doing and just like be there by myself doing it. But I have always worked that way. I was that way in school and studying and, and all that stuff. And then I'm also very, very high in that belief, uh, strength So it helps me tremendously if whatever work that I have to do, I also believe in, which I think is one of the things that's been really helpful in working with you because I really believe in you and like what you're doing. And I know that like you have people's best interest at heart and you're always going to do your best to like deliver on whatever product somebody's buying from you. And so it's very easy for me to get behind like, helping you market that or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like uh, put out videos with information or, you know, whatever. I know, I know that what you're doing is going to be good. And so I can easily get behind it. Yeah. You're um, so for Hannah's, your number one's achiever. Then you have learner and then your next three are developer empathy and harmony, which are all under the relationship sort of relational uh, themes, which seems weird to me that like I'm like a solo worker. Well, but here's here's what I think it is because when you read these, like empathy, right? So empathy, you can sense other people's feelings by imagining yourself in their shoes or situations, and then harmony, you are constantly looking for consensus and you don't enjoy conflict, and rather you seek areas of agreement. So then, when you combine that with like a really low competition, I think that when you're working with other people. 
or in environments with other people, you're like so concerned and like focused on them and making sure that you do what they need and they're happy and that they're like good and comfortable and working well and in their places that it's hard for you to focus on yourself. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, but I just thought it was interesting, though, because like in, in like we said earlier, some of the strengths that we have in common, um, the personalized feedback that they would give on that would talk about like, you probably like working on your own. Whereas with you, it was like, oh, you thrive in like these situations with other people mm-hmm. and, and whatever. Um, so and I it's really... not that you don't work well on a team. It's just that for a lot of your primary functionality, you, I think, thrive and are energized in other ways. Productivity-wise, I think I'm much more productive. Like, when I'm working on a task, if I can just, like, be by myself and, like, just focus in on it and, like, get in the groove. Yeah. Like, that's how I work. That really works very well with, like, what I do now. And then um, one of the things we pulled out from that learner, like, it talks about how you know, you do like learning for learning's sake. And so it may not be that you're after like the top credentials and whatever, or that you want to be the leading expert in whatever you're learning about. You just like the... The growth aspect of learning. And so what I do with you is like, I, I, a lot of times I'm like, learning something for whatever we need done that day, doing it, and then having to move on to the next thing that I also have to learn and like figure out how we need to do that. And so there's a lot of switching and learning between different things. And so that suits me really well. Yep. Yeah. You Um, thrive in, in sort of that excitement of the next thing to learn and, and make progress in. Yeah. So it's not like, um, like I like, I really, I'm not saying that I'm good at it, but I really like design and like creativity type stuff. But at the same time, I'm not like, I'm going to be a graphic designer and only do graphic design Mm -hmm. and like say work as a freelance graphic designer where like I do that same thing all day, every day for different businesses. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I like working within our one business and doing many different tasks. Yep. So let me jump in here and, and just brag on you though. Hannah's number one is something called the Achiever. And I think this one is really important because, and we'll talk about the blind spots that this one has caused you in the past, but the Achiever is really, really good because it makes you good at just about anything that you really put your mind to. So the Achiever is, um, it says, people exceptionally talented in the Achiever theme work hard and possess a great deal of stamina. They take immense satisfaction in being busy and productive. It goes on to talk about the importance of the achiever basically setting to-dos and goals for themselves and checking them off and working in sort of a uh, a manner that allows them to constantly be approving and achieving. And so when you combine that with learning, and then your number seven is focus, which is basically the ability to really hone in, like you said, and put your head down and just like eight hours on a logo design and really like focus in on that. It allows you to take that and direct that at a lot of different things and be pretty darn good, which we'll talk about has maybe caused some other blind spots. But I think what's really cool about it is it's allowed you and I to work well together and for you to find a role, even though you're not necessarily super passionate about finance in particular, you've been able to take your passions of creativity and like wanting to learn design and wanting to learn sort of the aesthetic side of our business and then 
when you combine that to wanting to achieve, enjoying the process of learning and being able to focus, it's allowed you to really thrive in this new role that previously you really never even thought about doing. And you could have done that in any business. It wouldn't have to be finance. It could be anything. Uh, and you could have sort of taken those three traits and combined them together to do what you're doing for any number of businesses, which I think is pretty cool. You're nice. Thank you. Um, an example of how the Strengths Finder stuff helped us. So I ended up taking this. I guess I'd been working with you for about a year Yeah. when I did this. And the Achiever trait or strength or whatever it talks about how you you like getting things done and um i want to find their particular wording because it just hits the nail on the head okay so they say every day starts at zero by the end of the day you must achieve something tangible in order to feel good about yourself and that's i don't think that that's really a good thing but (laughs) it is true um and so when I first started working with you, it would be, some of it would be, I don't know if abstract is really the right word, but it would be like, okay, here, research this thing that then we're going to use down the road to do this other thing. But there was no like finished Concrete, product yes. for that day. Yeah. Whereas in physical therapy, you know, I went in, I got my schedule. I had my list of patients that I had to see. I went and saw them. I did my paperwork. I checked off the things and I walked out feeling like, boom, did it done good till tomorrow so i think like me i have a slightly like a slightly larger view in aggregate so if we have a really productive day one day and then the next day is maybe not quite as productive i can sort of go well you know we're still having a pretty good week so far whereas you with your whole starting every day at zero that like yesterday means nothing no mm -mm, it doesn't and that's come into play like working on our house working on our business like everything yeah i'm like man we suck we haven't done anything blah blah and you're like Dude, it's like Sunday and we had a great week and got like this done and that done and whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. But uh, for me, if I just like go with my feeling, it's like if we haven't done the things today and like checked things off, then which is again, it's it's a really good strength to have because it pushes you to be a high performer and like do really well. The problem is you just have to like all of these strengths, it has its blind spots and you have to sort of make sure that we rein that in. I think your achiever is your toughest one and my, in terms of reining it in and my competition is like my toughest one for reining it in. But, you know, when we started working together, doing this helped me figure out like I'm struggling a lot in what I'm doing because I'm, I'm not bringing elements of, um, like having a to-do list, having clear goals, checking them off. I'm not bringing that into what I'm doing with you. And so we started kind of restructuring how we were doing things. And now we make a point to, we meet at least like once a week and have a really defined like meeting of, okay, here's our tasks that need to get done this week. Here's what you're doing. Here's what I'm doing. We, We do a much better job of making those goals really, really clear 
And I do a better job every day of going, okay, like here's my to-do list for today. And then when I check those things off, I can have that sense of satisfaction of like, okay, I had the things on my list and I got those things done. And so now I, I can like feel I can good about what I did. And feel okay about the day. Yeah. yeah. Whereas before we were really adding structure to that, I never had that sense of like satisfaction and like completion to my work day. And I, I think there's a lot of people who thrived in, I think people who thrived in school environments can sometimes really struggle after they get out of school because of that achiever mentality, because uh, in school, it's so clear as to what you need to accomplish to quote unquote win. Totally. And then after school, it's like sort of up to you. Yeah. And that's really hard. And I think, uh, let me look here. Okay. Yeah. So my seventh strength is focus. Um, And it, With the focus one, it talks about like you have this ability to prioritize and set goals and work efficiently. Um, And so I think like when you pair that with the achiever, it kind of makes me even more like obsessive in those ways. That's why I've always called you a border collie. Yes, it makes me gives me that border collie mentality. What I was talking to you about is like until I started working with you. I never had to prioritize and set goals for myself. Those were always set for me by either like school and teachers and professors or your boss or like my boss. And so I was like, okay, I've got my things. Now I just execute on the things. But then when I started working with you, I felt like I really floundered. And it was that piece of like, oh, I I actually like I thrive off of prioritizing and like setting goals and all of that stuff. And I can work really efficiently when I when I do that for myself, but I've just never had to do it for myself. And so like now I have to actually like think about how to set my own priorities and goals. Yeah. It's kind of like we talked about with, you know, defining your own life path and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. How Most of us don't have any experience doing that uh, because it's done for us. But anyway, so yeah, the, the combination of those, it's like, when you start reading through these things about yourself, you you go like, oh, that's that's kind of like a cool combination and those things can work really well together, but they can also make me like really struggle mm-hmm. and feel really mentally defeated if I'm not if I'm not structuring things in the right way for myself. Yep. No, I thought I think that was a huge learning for us was like, oh, well, if we just tweak the way that we plan our work and to-do lists, that will be a huge unlock for you. So let's just change that, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, So for one of my blind spots, when you combine that learner trait with the focus, so like focus talks about, you know, like you just put your head down, you just do what needs to be done. You do the thing. When you combine that with my learner trait, like, and you put me in a scenario of like PT school, I just do it without thinking about it. So like I've talked about before, when I was in like seventh grade and kind of got it in my head, like, oh, hey, physical therapy is a good job to do. I I'll do that. And I'll just work towards that. I literally just put my head down and like did it and never, never questioned it until I graduated from PT school and started working as a PT. And I was like, do I want to do this? I, and I guess, you know, by that time you kind of start getting exposed to like other people doing other things out in the world. And you're like, you know, that actually kind of interests me more than this. Yep. Why, why am I doing this? Yep. Now that I know that about myself, I know that like, my excitement around learning 
itself doesn't need to guide whatever I'm doing because I can get excited about learning about just about anything. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, Nick knows even like random documentaries, you know, like Blackfish. Like I was like so into so Blackfish and like so into all these like random facts, you know, surrounding that. And I made my parents watch that movie like well, sleep through that movie like three times. Um, but yeah, so I'll get really into learning about these like random things, but that doesn't mean that I need to go be a whale trainer. Um, you know, so like the fact that I could, I could get into, uh, learning about physical therapy and like executing on the school aspect of it. And, um, and like getting really strategic around like, okay, this is my goal. I'm trying to graduate with, you know, with whatever GPA, like executing on that and like doing it really well. I can like get into that. That doesn't mean that I'm doing what I should actually be doing. Yep. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And that that's, again, I think it's a perfect, a perfect learning for anybody for any of these strengths. Because if you let the wrong strength sort of be your guiding light, like if you let your achiever be your guiding light. Well, what if you're achieving the wrong thing? Yeah. Or if you let competition be your guiding light, well, what if you're competing at the wrong thing? Yeah. And so it's important to to figure out what you want to be doing and then see how you can let your strengths improve your ability to execute that. Yeah. And um, I think one of the other things this has pointed out for me is I definitely have a tendency to find my worth in that achieving thing and, you know, achievements. Um, and as a Christian, just recognizing like, no, that's not where my worth comes from. Mm -hmm. And when I start feeling myself doing that, I know to like pull the reins in, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. So to really try and tie a bow on this first career section, remember back to a couple episodes ago where we talked about, you want to kind of nail this Venn diagram for your career where you have in one area, your passions or your interests, in another area, you have skills that people will actually pay money for. And then in another area, you have all these strengths that we're talking about. So it's not just about finding a job that caters to your strengths. That's easy to do. You want to find a job that caters to your strengths that you're also passionate or have some interest in. And when you can do those three things, uh, that's how you're going to find a career that I think you can really thrive in. Okay, so the next kind of area where we wanted to talk about things is family and relationships. So do you want to get us started off there? Yeah, so I, I think the, the main one I wanted to talk about here for me was uh, inside of competition. So competition is competition to me can be really good or really bad, right? And the cool thing about it is it makes me strive to want to be the best, but it also makes me very interested in doing things with others. And so I'm really, really driven to play games with, go out, uh, and go, you know, do sports with family and friends. That's how I build relationships with people. That's how I really enjoy doing things is I love competing. The problem is obviously if you're overly competitive and you make everything about winning, you can absolutely destroy relationships. And so the thing I have to be careful of is not being too competitive and actually using that strength at the right thing. So I was telling Hannah this earlier, and it's a little bit meta, but you know, some people would tell me, certainly when I was younger, that I was too competitive, <laughs> that I, uh, I, I would sacrifice the relationship for the winning and I needed to dial down my competitive spirit. And I think that People who would say that had 
what they were trying to say was right. Their their spirit was right. But I've come to learn and I've come to decide that I think actually my competitive spirit isn't the problem. I, sh- I should actually keep my competition as high as possible. I just need to direct that competition towards the right thing. I need to choose the right goalpost. And we did a whole episode on this <laughs> a little while back. So this is a little goofy to say, but for example, let's say we're playing Monopoly. Young Nick, the number one goal was to win the game at all costs, uh, which means that I would, you know, potentially, you know, not take necessarily advantage be mean, of your but, but take advantage, yeah, take advantage, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I would, I was competitive, right? I was trying to win. And now I recognize that actually the goal of the game is to build relationships with the people that I'm playing the game with. And so I'm now still competitive, but it's it's focused on how can I play the game in the best way possible to build relationships. Well, Jordan Peterson talks about this. Totally. You know, he talks about teaching kids, you know, the goal of the game is not always just to win. The goal yeah. of the game is to make sure that when you get done, there's still somebody willing to play with you. Yes. Um, and so I think, that is probably the lesson that you had to learn. Yes. And it, <laughs> it was a hard lesson to learn. But I think that competition really helps uh, me in a lot of ways and helps helps my relationships in a lot of ways. But but only if I get it pointed at the right thing. No, I agree. I think your competition served you very well, for sure. And I think you, like you said, you've learned how to channel it and the things to focus on so that that is true. So that it does serve you well instead of damaging relationships or whatever else. All right. What about you? What's, um, what's one of these things that, that you feel like applies to family relationships? One of my top strengths, like number six for me is responsibility. And so, um, that's definitely played a role in family stuff. And I think that empathy to like combines with this to, to come into play. Um, but I feel like a great need to step in and provide help when I'm able, when, when there's some sort of crisis type situation going on. Um, and so I have this like deep sense of dedication and, um, ownership over, over that stuff and over commitments, Mm -hmm. I guess, or, um, things that in my mind I've committed myself to helping with, but the blind spot there is that I can easily overcommit and get like super unbalanced in, in my involvement in things. Yeah, we're we're similar in that way. Um, mine is less from a. It's interesting because we both have high responsibility, but I'm so low on empathy that mine is more of a. Uh, it's more of like a a, sen- a sense of ownership. Uh, I can't think of a better word than responsibility. Like feeling like you should do. Yeah, it, feeling like, like this do. is my role, right? Yeah. The, like I'm the son, so I need to do this, or I'm the, you know, uh, grandson-in-law or the grandson or whoever, or, or I'm the husband or whatever my role is in this family. In any given situation, I feel a sense of like duty, duty. Yeah. Yeah. Duty, duty is probably a good word um, to, you know, hold up my, you know, end of the whatever. Whereas yours does come from this place of high empathy and compassion, too, I think. Makes me sound like probably way nicer than I am, but it it is like a different. It's a different driving force there. I don't know exactly because it's like with me, like you'll say, like, I don't you don't need to feel like you have to do that. And it's like, well, it's not that I feel like I have to like I, I, I legit just like want to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like you said, the blind spot is you I can and I, like over. We can over commit really yes. easily. Yeah. Well, and we talked about this um, 
I'm going to throw church in here too. The church that we used to go to is like any any need that they needed, any need that they needed filled. Uh, we would we'd be like, well, we can do that. Yeah, we'll yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's oh, us. you need life group leaders? We'll lead a life group. Oh, you need volunteers in the kids church? We'll do that. Oh, you need this? Oh, we'll do that. Which to a certain extent that can be great and like you know, cool. But uh, at that time in our lives, we were run ragged and like we were not doing these things from like a good place. Mm-mm. Like, Mm-mm. and we were like bitter and just tired and angry. And so it's just not, it's just not a good thing. It's not healthy. Um, so, yeah. So just recognizing that. And as we've like moved into a, a new area and, you know, are like trying to get involved in different things, it's something that we've tried to be aware of and been like, hey, let's, let's be on guard and, try really hard to not overcommit ourselves to yes. things because it it ends up and they talked about this in in one of the Clifton reports about one of the blind spots of this is that it can end up damaging your relationships because like you're so overcommitted mm-hmm. and we definitely both have that tendency so it's important for us to know that about ourselves and to watch out for it yeah mhm all right, so the last uh, little area we wanted to talk through was how this could come up in our hobbies. And I think this is just kind of a funny one to talk about with the types of hobbies that we choose and get into. And it's things I'd never even really thought about until we talked about it. But I've almost never chosen hobbies that I do solo. Like I've never really done any sort of like Oh, I collect these things, or I do woodworking in my shop by myself, or I whatever. Like yeah. all of my stuff is like group competition oriented. It's like I want to go snowboarding and I want to race my friends. I want to play frisbee. I want to go golfing. I want to do jujitsu. I want to like yeah. work out and compete. Everything involves other people. Yeah, totally. Whereas your anything that you do with other people, it's like. It's not a, it's definitely not a competition. No. So we were talking about that too, like from, from our workouts. And so the gym that we go to, they have this like really early morning class and they can, I both like going to the really early morning class, but we like it for, for different reasons. So we, we also went to like a short term introduction. Yeah. Like the beginner's intro class. Yeah. And, um, I found myself like a lot of the people in that class were were very new to working out. And it's not like I'm in some amazing shape because I'm not. But we had been working out a little bit more consistently. And we had been going to the gym for a little while and just chose to take that class to learn some of the like weightlifting Mm -hmm. um, form and stuff. So I found myself like not wanting to do things maybe as quickly as I could or you weren't as pushing well yourself as, as I hard could. because you didn't want to look like a show off or something. Yeah. Well, and I, like, okay, like these people are newer to the gym. So like, I want them to like feel it's good that empathy. Yeah. and like, yeah. So like I'll, you know, if we're on a run, I'll like hang back with somebody else, like especially like other women in the group. So yes. I'm like, I'm, I don't want to be like, yeah, I'm out here dominating, which I, like is not going to happen most of the time. But on the rare occasion where it might happen, I'm going to I'm going to like rein it back just a little bit. Yep, but it's it's out of an awareness of other people's feelings and needs and like wanting to make them feel good and, and yeah. yes. But so the early morning class, there's there's not very many women in it, but the women who are in it, I mean, they can just kick my 
butt. They're hardcore. Like, so hard. Yeah. And um, so it's great because it. I'm competing. Like I do not compete with other people. But I am competing with myself all the time. So I think it's that achiever trait. It talks about proving yourself to yourself mm-hmm. every day. Um, and that is definitely how I function. So when I'm working out, I'm there like hardcore competing with myself and like trying to prove myself to myself. Yeah. Um, always. You're going as hard as you can for yourself and you're not pulled back because of worried about someone else. Yes. So, but if, but if I am in a scenario where there's somebody else there and I'm concerned that I'm going to make them feel bad about like what they're doing or anything like that, I'm going to rein it back. Mm -hmm. So it's really good for me to be in this class where it's like, yeah, I can do my absolute like all out hardest and it's not going to come anywhere close to these women like, cause they're just dominating. No problem. Whereas I'm the opposite, right? So I'm like competitive. So like I work out way less intensely at home by myself yeah because i'm like "Mm, mm, i'm just kind of you know yeah like i mean i'll work out but i don't go as hard whereas like at the 5 30 class i'm definitely like i'm always the last one to finish i'm always like the weakest guy you know and like one of the guys there of course he's you know he's one of the instructors so you know i shouldn't i shouldn't feel too bad but you know he's like a, a considerable amount smaller than me and he can lift way more than me and everything is so much, you know, and so I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like beat the other guys for the sake of beating the other guys, but I'm pushing myself to try and be, you know, on their level if I can. Well, and you've reached a maturity level where we can go do these things. Like we talked about five years ago, we would not need to go I would hurt. Well, would my, be, I would injure myself. We would trying need to, to work compete. out at home yes. because, yeah, you would you would injure yourself like trying to do what other people are doing, who you're trying to compete with. Um, but you've reached a place where it's all good. Well, my brain has fully developed. My frontal lobe has closed, yeah. and so, uh, so it's all good. I'm good. Yep. Anyways, um, so we just thought that was kind of funny with hobbies was just just sort of our different choices and how our strengths really play into that. The other one I'll lump in working on our house as a hobby here. Um, But one of the things I've noticed is having a really big project like our house, it can kind of be a struggle for for the achiever in me because it can feel like we're working on painting the outside of our house forever. And so I'm not getting to check like anything off my list. And so the importance of working in some smaller tasks of refinishing this piece of furniture, painting our mailbox, you know, painting some flower pots and repotting some plants, like these little tasks that I can give myself that it's like, okay, a little win there, a little win there. Like I've had my win for the day. I'm good you know, mixing those in really helps me be able to not lose my mind over the overall project of working on the house. The last thing I'll say on hobbies and projects like that is you also have, uh, so your 10th strength, so still in the top 10 is something called restorative, which I just thought was really cool. I didn't even know that that was a thing. So I'm just going to read it. It says they like bringing things back to life by fixing them or rekindling their vitality. I thought that was really cool just because like you love antiquing, you love uh, refinishing, you love working on, you know, rebuilding this house and sort of breathing life back into these things, which I just thought was really cool. And yet another way that I was like, oh, yeah, huh, I can totally see that. And that makes sense as to why uh, we choose some of the projects and yeah, and things. I do that, like yeah. those things. And I thought it was interesting for that to be one of the strengths. I was surprised by that being one of the strengths. Yeah. 
All right, before we move on, uh, I just thought it would be fun to briefly talk about some areas that we overlap and areas that we differ. And so it was fun. I think it was fun to sort of compare these. So Hannah and I, first off, there's four main themes that you can lead with, executing, influencing, relationship building, and strategic thinking. Hannah and I are both uh, executing. And then we both have high learners, high achievers, or high focus, high responsibility, high discipline, and high belief. So we actually have like six, five or six things that were all in our top 12 or so. And when I look back at our sort of college days, and when we first met, I can definitely see those present as like things that attracted me to you and sort of commonalities. At the same time, were complete opposites and a couple of things that we've already mentioned, like empathy, competition, and self-assurance. And those are areas that I feel like we really complement each other. And so obviously inside of a marriage, I think this is a little bit of a different conversation than working on a team with people. But the the same core idea applies in that what are the things that you're really good at that I'm weak at that I can sort of lean on you in? And then what are the things that I'm really good at where you're a little weak? that we can sort of lean on me. And being able to have, I think, some language around some of these things, even if we maybe had inklings that this was the case, has been helpful to really see where you're able to pick up the slack on certain things and I'm able to pick up the slack on others, which no, I just thought was cool. Is. And, and again, just like you said, like giving language to it and even if it's something that you kind of in the back of your mind know you it might not you might not think about it it might not register with you and so what i'm thinking of is when i'm having times when i feel like really um discouraged or unsure about like my abilities or kind of like down on myself i know that like i can lean on your self assurance because like you you do that for other people too. It's not just that like you built yourself up and you're like, yeah, I'm so capable. I can do whatever. Like you're excellent at doing that for other people. You're like, no, you're like super good at this, this, and this. And you're good at highlighting other people's strengths, helping them see those and um, helping them feel like, yeah, I can do this. Like, I think that's why you're a good coach. Well, I, I thank you. And I think, I think it's sort of the same thing for you just on the opposite skills, right? Like we've talked at length about how I'm not the most empathetic person in the world. And it's something I've really struggled with, especially in my younger days. When I was, you know, a teenager and in my early 20s, I was very unempathetic. And I, so I think that's maybe another important takeaway is just because these are your weaknesses or like the things that are the lowest on your list doesn't mean you can't improve them. I've been able to really improve, I think, my empathy in large part due to you and being around you and understanding more the importance of like, oh, it probably is important to actually try to understand where other people are coming from and be able to see their perspective. And over the last few years, I think I've I've grown a lot in that area. And it's it's because I've made a conscious effort to recognize that empathy is important. And then I've been able to watch you sort of use your empathy and, and learn from that in the same way that I hope that, you know, your self-assurance has improved by hanging around me for the last few years. <laughs> totally. There's such a, um, a fine line between like leaning into your strengths, but also 
not discounting something just because it's not one of your top strengths. Totally. And so we kind of mentioned this in the the last episode, but we're both relatively low on adaptability. I'm not relatively. It's my last one. Okay. Well, I'm 29. So it's close to my last one. But I think we both recognize... um, Being adaptable is important. Yeah. And that life is just much better if you'll learn to be adaptable. Um, and so I think, I think RVing, I'm, I'm much more geared that way naturally than you are. So like compared to you, I, I have always felt like spontaneous and adaptable (laughs) and whatever, but compared to the average person, you're not. not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was one of the cool things about us RVing because I think it kind of pushed our limits, like both of us and okay, this didn't go according to our plan. So now we have to adapt and change and it's okay. The world's not going to end. We can, we can move this around and change that and do this differently and and it's all good. Um, And I think it did make us like really good at that. And so even things as little as like all the cars we drive have a lot of miles on them right Mm -hmm. now. And we know a lot of people who are unwilling to do that because they're like, what if my car dies when I'm like on my way somewhere and, you know, it delays me and this happens and it's a pain in my butt, basically. And me and you are just like, yeah, that might happen. Well, that's what you pay for AAA AAA for. You know, um, and so it does, it just makes us, uh, we, we have gotten better in that area to where I think we are better at recognizing when a lot of things just aren't that big of a deal. Yeah. Like, eh, it's a little inconvenient. But it's all right. It's all right. And we'll deal with it. I like to say that I'm so analytical that I recognize that being empathetic and adaptable are important things. And so I've created steps in my mind on how to become more empathetic. Yeah, and I think that's very adaptable. accurate. I think that's exactly what you do. And yep. uh, and so I, I've tried to strategically become more of those things over the years. Yeah, mine mine are just a happy accident. They are totally not strategic. <laughs> I'm like, hey, our being helped with that. That's cool. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Anyways, don't uh yeah. So if you do the if you do the Clifton strengths, you know, don't focus too terribly much on your weaknesses and discount them and say, like, oh, I'm just not good at that, so I'm not gonna do those things. These are just your natural talents, right? Uh and it helps you sort of choose where to lean in, but also to recognize that you can improve some of your others and that's cool too. Well and kind of like we've touched on, like a lot of these things are really broad and they're things totally. that you can bring into um anything that you're doing. Yes. So maybe maybe you're struggling at your job but not necessarily like wanting to completely change your job and you just need to do some things like I talked about like oh, hey, I need a defined to-do list. Yeah, I need to create that for myself. And part of why I'm struggling is that I don't have that. Yep. Um, so maybe there's just some simple things like that that you need some to implement in what you're doing. little changes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, and it's like even on the budget side, right? I've shared this before, but I'm very low in adaptability, which means what? It means I freak out when unexpected expenses come up. So what have we done? We've made a plan to budget for unexpected expenses which all of a sudden makes me more adaptable and calms my nerves because now we're planning for unexpected things. Yeah. And so it hasn't been, oh, we're just not going to budget, you know, or something. It's just a small little tweak to help better align with, you know, my own sort of natural strengths. Yeah, and help us work together better on our budget. Totally. Um, Yeah, those little things make a big difference. So we all know I like checking things off my to-do list. You know what else I like? What? Stuff we like. It's your turn. What are you liking? I am liking this uh, this book here called Every Moment Holy 
by Douglas McKelvey. And I don't know, I've never really had a book like this before, if you will. So the book is all these different little uh, liturgies or prayers that he's written out for a ton of different occasions. And I'll just flip through the table of contents real quick to give you an idea. And so it has all these different things like uh, liturgies for those who uh, employ others, liturgies for the preparation of a meal, liturgies for uh, the hurried preparation of a meal, for the keeping of bees, for, for people who students feel and scholars. Awkward in social situations. Yeah, for those who sleep in tents, for the enjoyment of bonfires, for sunsets, for stargazing, for those gathered at the eve of a wedding. He's All even got one stuff. like for working on your house and stuff. Yeah. And then there's also like ones of moments like uh, he's got one for each day of the week. He's got one for, you know, upsetting things like missing someone or for those feeling failure or for the death of a dream. He's got a ton of different little things in here and a handful that have been very helpful for me to read through with the sort of different things I've um, been struggling with. And I just thought it was really good. And he had a, he even has a couple in here about shopping and like about impulse spending, mm -hmm. which I thought were really cool. But we, I thought I'd read one, just a really short one to give you an idea of what it's like. So this one here is for the ritual of morning coffee. Meet me, O Christ, in this stillness of morning. Move me, O Spirit, to quiet my heart. Mend me, O Father, from yesterday's harms. From the discords of yesterday, resurrect my peace. From the discouragements of yesterday, resurrect my hope. From the weariness of yesterday, resurrect my strength. From the doubts of yesterday, resurrect my faith. From the wounds of yesterday, resurrect my love. Let me enter this new day aware of my need and awake to your grace, O Lord. Amen. If that sounds like something that you would enjoy, definitely encourage you to check it out. It's called Every Moment Holy by Douglas McKelvey. All right, you want to wrap things up for us? Sure. So really the the main takeaway today was just again, if you are at all considering doing the Clifton Strengths Finder test, we would highly highly recommend it. Um, we think it's worth springing the extra money for the full-blown test. And once you've done that, what you want to do is really dive in using sort of the four steps that they outline, which are to read about your top strengths and understand them. Then to secondly, reflect on who you are as a person, your past decisions, uh, and why you've chosen what you've chosen, and maybe how your strengths could have influenced those decisions. Third is to look at how you can use your strengths in the future and going forward. Are there places that you can better apply your strengths and things that you can do to make sure you're actively using them? And then fourth is to watch out for specific blind spots. Are there areas where your strengths are maybe so strong that they can actually become weaknesses and cause sort of other unintended consequences? We found those to be really helpful questions and guiding lights as we've used the Strengths Finder. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you've made it this far, we truly appreciate you listening. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. <laughs>